and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host, RJ McCready, and for this episode, I could be taking you guys back to the year in 1956 to look at the epic, classic, game changer in sci fi, sound effects, special effects, all that sort. It's got it all, guys. It's the Forbidden Planet. So let's fire up the C 57 Starship. Let's go to Altair 4. Let's play you guys a trailer and I will see you soon. fast-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Well, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pidgeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Come on in. Didn't bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, able to produce, on order, 10 tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places, with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamond or emeralds do? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the Forbidden Planet to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. 20 miles. Look down, gentlemen. Are you afraid? 7,800 levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair IV conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible. And welcome back guys. So the synopsis for this film is a starship crew goes to investigate the silence of a planet's colony only to find two survivors and a deadly secret that one of them has. It's got a 98 minute runtime. It's classed as a action adventure sci-fi and I think it's got a universal rating which is suitable for all although it has a few horror elements in it. Especially when it comes to that fight between the crewmates and the monster of the id, which I will get to later on. 
But before all that, let's talk about the uh, cast and the crew and the production of The Forbidden Planet. So the film was directed by Fred M. Wilcox and he's an American film director and movies that he'd done leading up to this was um, actual fact Lassie, the Lassie movies. That lovable cinema dog that would make us all cry from time to time. So <laughs> who would have thought? And it's starring Walter Pigeon as Dr. Morbius. He's the antagonist in this movie. And Francis as Altair, the beautiful Altair. And Warren Stevens as Lieutenant Doc Ostro. And you've got Robbie the Robot playing Robbie the Robot. And I've left the best till last here. It's um, Leslie Nielsen as Commander Adams. And he's, this is probably the straightest role I've seen Leslie Nielsen play because... I was familiar with Leslie Nielsen, but I didn't realise that he was the same character in The Naked Gun, Police Squad, Airplane, and there was this uh, thing at school we used to talk about when we were talking about The Forbidden Planet, and at around about the same time, The Naked Gun was at the cinema, and we was all saying, that's the same guy from The Forbidden Planet, but how can it be? Because he's so funny, and he's so straight-laced in The Forbidden Planet, and it's still a running thing. Every time I watch this film, it's almost like... Shall I say it first or shall you say it? Yeah, that's Leslie Nielsen. He's the guy from Airplane and all those funny movies. So, um, But putting that aside, um, yeah, he's an incredibly funny guy, but he, he does a great job in this film. And they all do. You know, it's got a real solid cast in this film. And along with that solid cast, um, this film was produced with some groundbreaking technology at the time. It was shot in a type of Technicolor, I suppose you could say, because a lot of films were filmed in black and white back in that time. Uh, but this was called Eastman Colour. And they used CinemaScope, which I think is something to do with all the camera angles and the way it was shot with the wide camera lenses and all that sort of stuff. So I think um, being the non-tech geek that I am, uh, I think that what that means is it's on a widescreen and from you know watching this film you see a lot more they capture a lot more on one image and basically scoops up a lot more of that set design onto the screen and along with that this also had groundbreaking sound effects on it I think it was the first time that they actually used like um, electronic sound synthesizers to create that almost, how can I describe it, sort of like a 1950s sort of space punk sound and it's almost haunting and again as I said before I think um, soundtracks to movies are important because the synthesizer punches in just right at the right time so when you're looking at the underground of Morpheus station I think the special effects just change about then and then when you've got the attack from the monster it really ramps up so um, I would imagine going to the cinema back in 1956 looking at all the other films that were around at the time. This must have blown your mind. And whilst I'm talking about the special effects and the sounds, um, I always think The Forbidden Planet is basically a comic book that has been turned into a film. And it is literally a comic book that has been stripped and put onto the screen. So especially when you look at the, um, like the Dan Dare comics the 1950 adventure space comics um, probably like the old Flash Gordon all that sort of stuff it really has captured that that real sort of tone and vibe and everything and I've absolutely no doubt this film is like a stepping stone for other sci-fi classics um, there's a couple of other films like this kicking around at the time such as um, This Island Earth which is another great film you had George Powell's The Time Machine and The War of the Worlds 
uh, you had when worlds collide and then of course you would later on have the ultimately the classic Star Wars which we had in 1977 which I'm pretty sure would probably this movie had some sort of influence over that as a building block so um, the other thing to mention when I'm talking about the building block is that this film actually has a setting that is compared to William Shakespeare's The Tempest and it's got certain plot elements in it and some people believe that it is a loose adaption of that novel and the other thing to mention here with um, the setup of this movie is it's the first science fiction film to depict human beings travelling faster than light in space. So this would then go on to influence Gene Roddenberry's uh, Star Trek. I think he has mentioned this film that it was an influence for him to go and make um, the Star Trek adventure. And I'm going to get really geeky here with some trivia here guys. So um, apparently 1701 is when... The starship enters Altair, and I believe, this is only what I'm going on trivia, 1701 is the ship's um, serial number for the starship Enterprise. So there you go guys, that is a proper, you know, honk 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 geek alert there guys, <laughs> but I've got to mention it. Someone grab me a towel, just been drenched in geekness. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the film, I've kind of lost my thread now. So uh, the film was a massive success at the time. Um, it was backed by MGM Studios. I think they put like a $2 million budget down for this film, which must have been massive back in, in 1956. And um, at the box office, it took $3 million back, um, which was a success. It did, did really well. And the special effects team were nominated for Academy Awards for Best Visual Effects. And it did that well that it got its place in the Congress National Film Registry and it is described as one of the best examples of early techno horror. So yeah, it did really well for itself. And before I go into the review of this movie, uh, let's have a quick talk about some of the trivia on this film. So um, it was filmed entirely indoors and it was a mix of real sets with matte paintings and they actually used some of the props from The Wizard of Oz and they basically stripped down, it's quite funny actually, stripped down the whole Munchkin village from The Wizard of Oz to make the sets for this film. So what you're seeing there is part of The Wizard of Oz in this movie, there's a little bit of a crossover there. And Robbie the Robot is one of the, I think it is or was, one of the most expensive film props in cinema history it cost $125,000 to make at the time that's probably the budget for most of the films that were kicking around about that time and the objective with Robbie the Robot and they said this was important um, they didn't just want a tin can with um, flashing lights and a voice um, they wanted him to be, be like a real sort of character and um he is the heart of the movie. I mean, when you talk about The Forbidden Planet, he is the character probably people talk about the most. So the, the objective was succeeded there with the uh, filmmakers. And he's iconic. You know, Robbie the Robot. And he turns up in... I think he turned up in The Monsters or something like that. The comedy sort of horror TV show. I think he turned up in The Twilight Zone. And... Lost in Space, I think he iconically turned up in Lost in Space too. So um, yeah, he's an iconic um, sci-fi character. 
And talking about set designs, a full-size um, mock-up of the Starship was built and is about 51 metres in total, surrounded by a huge matte painting to uh, make the Altair 4 landscape, which is pretty cool. And the last bit of trivia here, guys, is um, Rod Serlin, uh, the creator of the Twilight Zone. He used most of the film props for all of his episodes. So when you watch episodes of the Twilight Zone, particularly the sci-fi ones, you will more likely see a prop from this film. I think I certainly have some of the costumes and stuff like that. So there you go, guys. That's the trivia. That's the production. That's the greatness of this film. That's how it all got put together. So let's have a look at this movie. Let's do a bite-sized review of The Forbidden Planet. So the film starts off in the 23rd century with a starship C-57D reaching a distant planet called Altair 4 and they have gone there to find out what has happened to a Earth colony which has disappeared for the last 20 years. And whilst orbiting the planet they talk to Dr Morbius, uh, one of the expedition scientists and he warns them that if they land he will not be able to guarantee their safety. But Commander Adams, played by Leslie Nielsen, he ignores this warning and he lands anyway. After landing on the planet of Altair, Commander Adams and his first lieutenant Doc are approached by Robbie the Robot, who then transports them to Dr Morbius's residence, which is a converted spaceship. Morbius then explains to the Commander how the expedition failed and that he explained that there was an unknown force that killed members of the expedition. They tried to leave the planet, the ship crashed, and only himself and his wife and his daughter survived. Morbius offers uh, help to the Commander uh, for his preparation for his trip home to Earth, but um, Commander Adams explains to him that he will remain there until he gets further instructions from Earth. And then that night on board the starship, you get a invisible intruder. You get quite a cool scene here with, and I said earlier, the mixture of the music. And you get like an invisible entity stepping aboard the ship. And the only way you know it is, is that the steps start to buckle as it walks on board. And then you hear someone scream, you get some equipment that gets damaged, and then it goes into the next day. The next morning, Commander Adams goes back to Morbius's residence and he goes to explain the incident. And whilst he's waiting, he's spending a bit of time with his daughter Altair. He's starting to fall in love with her a little bit. And they're waiting outside in like a garden area. And this is where Altair's pet tiger turns up and it goes to attack her. And before it does, Commander Adams blasts him with the um, laser and destroys the tiger. It just sort of evaporates. And you get some pretty good special effects here. Again, it's like a mixture of, I guess it's like animations creating that um, vaporising effect and the laser beam and all that sort of stuff. Morbius then arrives and then he tells Commander Adams about a ancient alien race that inhabited the planet and they disappeared overnight 200,000 years ago. He then takes them to a Krell laboratory where he shows them a device which measures the human intellect and he explains that when he first used it, it almost killed him. But after time, it was like increased or doubled his memory. And he also explains that every time he uses it, there's a risk that it might kill him. So it's um, a highly dangerous piece of equipment. And then Morbius then takes the commander and he's also got Doc with him at the time. I forgot to mention that. And they go on a tour around the Krill underground machine complex. And it's massive. It's miles and miles long. 
It goes about 32 kilometers below the ground. And it's a really good scene actually. I think it's a combination of real set pieces and map paintings. And after the tour, Commander Adams says, you know, you need to notify Earth about this discovery. But then Morbius says that Earth is not ready for this limitless power. And I guess Morbius has a point there, especially if you get the Wayland yutani involved from Aliens. So they probably screw it all up. So after finding all this information about the Krell, being the advanced race and everything, um, Adams goes back to the ship and he orders his crew to place a defence barrier around the starship. And that night the invisible creature returns and this is where you probably get the pinnacle part of this movie. You get the attack between the crew and this creature and it is fantastic. I, it's difficult to try and describe its greatness uh, through a podcast, you really need to see it, but it's a combination of animations, um, sound effects, a real haunting sort of sound effect, and it's making like a sort of, I guess like a sort of tiger roar. You get some of the crewmen, they're trying to shoot it with lasers, it's not working. Um, one of the crewmen tries to be a hero, goes, thinks it's going to work, he gets a little bit closer to it to try and destroy it doesn't work he gets grabbed he gets destroyed and then during this attack sequence you get a scene of Morbius asleep in the Krell lab almost like having a nightmare and then he's awakened by Altair and then funny enough the creature disappears so he may have something to do with it dun 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 so after this attack on the ship Adams uh returns to Morbius and he goes back to go and get Altair because he's now thinking we're going to have to leave this planet, go back to Earth, uh, notify some officials and try and stop all of this. And whilst he's trying to persuade Altair, his friend Doc, or his first lieutenant, he sneaks off and he goes to use the Krell machine and it has a fatal consequence with him and it nearly kills him but before he dies he says to Commander Adams, he says, I've seen everything, I've seen this machine, it is great, it, it does increase your mind, but the Krell forgot one thing, is that when you use this machine, it creates an opening or allows access for these monsters of the id. And when I read this and when I've done the research for this, I thought this reminds me of something, this reminds me a hell of a lot of H.P. Lovecraft, especially like films like From Beyond, um, almost a Necronomicon, I suppose you could say, with the Evil Dead. And um, certainly Event Horizon, you know, when they try to go through the black hole, wherever it is, and then they allow access for, like, hell to come through this porthole. So, um, I'd never really thought of that before up until now, but it really does um, connect that sort of H.P. Lovecraftian theme to this film with these monsters. So there's a HP Lovecroft to think about next time you watch this movie. But going back to uh, Doc who is now dying, but before he dies he's mentioned one other thing, one other real important thing is that he says that is in actual fact Morbius, his mind is creating these creatures, it's his mind that attacked the crew's ship and that him and the crew are now in danger. But before Altair and Commander Adams leave, uh, Robbie the Robot detects that the creature is approaching the residence and Morbius commands Robbie to try and stop the creature but because Robbie knows that it's a creation of Morbius he ends up shutting himself down. And you've now got a scene where Altair, uh, Commander Adams and Morbius are now contained in a room which is 
clad up with um, Krell plate, which is like a, a defense barrier. And then you've got the monster, which is now trying to burn through that plate. And it's quite a creepy scene, actually. You don't know what, when you first watch this film, you think you don't know what's going to happen. And because the monster is ultimately controlled by Morbius, this is where Commander Adams now tries to convince him that he said, this is all in your imagination. The only way you're going to be able to stop this is that if you totally reject that monster from your mind and you get a, you get a scene here where there's like a standoff between Adams and Morbius, you've got Altair screaming, you've got the monster trying to burn through, but ultimately Morbius rejects this monster. But the rejection causes Morbius to die and then you get the monster that disappears. Adams then escapes with Altair, but before he escapes, he um, sets off a device which will destroy the Krell machine. And it has a countdown clock of 24 hours and it says that you must be 100 million miles in deep space before this uh, blows up. Adams with his crew escape with Altair and Robbie the robot. They go about 100 million miles safe distance within 24 hours, that's pretty good. And then you see the Altair 4 blow up in the distance. And then the last scene of the film is Altair crying in the arms of Commander Adam and then she's saying that um, this will be a reminder that we, after all, are not gods and we shouldn't mess with this type of stuff. So and that's it, then the starship departs for Earth and then you get the end credits. And there you go guys, that is the bite-sized review of The Forbidden Planet. I sort of jumped over a few bits, there's a few other iconic bits in there which um, if you want to go back and watch the film you get the... Um, character which I've got to mention called Cookie. He's quite a funny character. He's the uh, ship's cook. He likes his drink. He likes his alcohol. And there's a funny scene I've got to mention where he's running low on whiskey. And he goes to Robbie and Robbie says, oh, I can make you a load of whiskey. And he said, uh, will something like 40,000 gallons of whiskey do? <laughs> it's a good scene. So yeah, there's some good bits in this film. And there's another bit I forgot to mention, which is a little bit of a tie-over to the Planet of the Apes with this film. Um, so there's a bit where they make a plaster cast of the foot of the monster. It's a pretty cool plaster, it's got a claw on it and all this sort of stuff. I think that's pretty badass. But that plaster cast actually turns up in the museum in the first 1968 um, Planet of the Apes movie. You can just see it in the background. So there you go, it's a little bit of... Um, a Planet of the Apes, uh, Forbidden Planet tie over there if you look out for that. So something to look out for, another another Easter egg. It's all about the Easter eggs with us uh, movie fans and stuff like that. So so there you go guys, that is it. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I will be back soon for another film, another iconic film. A fun movie, I think we could do with a bit of a fun film, a bit of escapism. It's going to be Jim Henson's Labyrinth from... The mid 80s, 1987, something like that. I'm going to have a look at that. So, look out for that. And the film I'm going to do after that as well, I'll mention that now. I'm going to be doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. One of my favourite movies. It's like, again, it's iconic, it's quotable. <laughs> it's, so, um, I will get into that one as well. Um, so, look out for that as a future episode. And that's the Gene Wilder. Willy Wonka as well, not that. Oh, I'm not even going to mention that remake. Nah, let's not talk about that. But anyway, guys, a bit of admin for the show. So I'm a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Uh, go and check out all the other shows there. I'll play a promo at the end of this show. 
and you can find Bite Size Cinema on iTunes, YouTube and several other players on the internet. So if you punch it into Google, you'll find somewhere to uh, listen to the show. And um, also got a Facebook page if you want to go and check that out, post some stuff on there. We have a fun time on there. Also, a shout out to one of the listeners, one of my mates on that page, uh, Dan Nichols. He's a comic book artist and he's done me some fantastic art for Assault on Precinct 13. It looks absolutely awesome. Um, so thank you that for that, Dan. Little shout out there, mate. So there you go, guys. Um, Keep it bite-sized, keep it safe, and I'll see you soon. then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark metal health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.